Welcome to episode two of the LinuxServer.io podcast. My name's Alex, Ironic Badger. And my name is Dion, also known as Lonix. And my name is Sparkly Balls. This episode was recorded live on the 28th of January 2016. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about Docker Unikernels, uh, Ansible 2.0 release. We're going to talk about some storage-related stuff with Unraid. And uh, we've got an update about LinuxServer.io base image. So, uh, without further ado, let's get cracking. Yeah, uh, ironic. I heard you started playing a new game the other day. Yeah, well, you say started playing a new game. You mean my life has been consumed by a new game? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That I game, told, of course. I, I told you about this game, didn't I? Yeah. So, I actually purchased this game in July, and it has been on my Steam summer sale pile of shame ever since. <laughs> I paid £2.99 for this game and it's Prison Architect and it is amazing and well I suppose we should tell people what the game is if you've ever played um, I don't know what's it more it's kind of a bit like Theme Hospital in so much as that you in so much as that you you know have to design and build a a place for people to exist except that you're building a prison and that's the game you are architecting a prison so it's more sims than crim uh, more crims than sims then well very good very good oh so far are you <laughs> um and actually last night update three came out which adds some really nice things that I didn't know were missing from the game because I've been playing it for about three or four days. Uh, what did they add? Guard towers. That was nice. So now I can have snipers um, shooting people that are trying to escape, which is kind of fun. So, yeah, I think I'm going to redo a prison with um, like a long road going up the middle so that people have to run the gauntlet <laughs> to get people to try and escape. Uh, and then what else did they add? Oh, there's something about visitation booths to stop contraband and all, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's anyway, a fun game. I if you haven't, the, if you haven't played it, seven hundred hours in it. Seven hundred hours. Seven hundred hours. Seven hundred and fifteen or so, I think. Uh, I doubt it, Beethoven spent that long on his fifth. And that's just on Steam. I played it long before Steam. <laughs> is that, wow, that's is that, impressive. Is that real time or is that game time? Like real game time. It, so when you have the application open, Steam logs it as time played. Lord. And sometimes that can be a bit of a misnomer because, for example, with City Skylines, another game that I really like, um, I quite often just leave it paused on, this, on the pause menu, but Steam isn't clever enough to realise that and it, it can't kind of count some of those hours towards my playtime. So let me, have a, let me load up. Actually, you know Steam. what? I can Do tell I... you a little tidbit about that. Any game that build with Steam works, it does actually recognize that. If you're paused for a longer period of time, it won't count it. Oh, that is nice. Well, I'm just looking at City Skylines. I last played it in November, and I clocked 132 hours in that game so far. Not That's nothing. Well, <laughs> speak for yourself. That's, that's, I think one, that's possibly that's one, my top one. That's one sitting, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, I think Skyrim's probably my next. Can you sort by playtime? God, I hope not. 
Uh, I can't see a way. Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Wow, 53 hours. So there you go. That was a game I was completely obsessed with for a couple of months with Skyrim. And uh, I've only clocked 53 hours. So for me, Lonix, uh, 132 hours is a lot. So that I'm I'm already on 24 hours with Prison Architects and I've been playing it less than a week to give you an idea. Well, I'm happy. I'm it's... happy you've found the game I'm most excited about um, last half year or so. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know how I missed it. I mean, I obviously didn't miss it because I bought it, but uh, um, yeah, holy cow. Well, it's, it's like uh... the Docker thing all over again. You keep ignoring me, then you laugh at me. And then... <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, the Gandhi quote. The Gandhi yeah, quote and now, from, and now we're back here. <laughs> So what That's what um, platforms is this game available on then? Everything that matters. Well, currently it only <laughs> runs on PC and Mac and Linux. Well, well yeah, that's, that's everything that's, that matters. That's, that's the big three, isn't it? That's everything that matters. Uh, although they announced last night that they've got a console port almost ready to go and um, there's a tablet version for the iPad in the works, which should be pretty sweet, actually. Android coming later next year, I think. That's going to be slower due to they're paying someone to do the iPad version, but it's not the same guys that are paying to do the Xbox and PlayStation version. And the guys making the iPad version will not make the Android version until the iPad something. It was a quite a while back. They just talked about this. Yeah, so, so that's Prison Architect. I think... Um... Yeah, it's it's. I mean, uh, I haven't I haven't got any way of tracking the number of hours I've lost to games like Transport Tycoon, but if I if I did, I I think that that would probably be in thousands of hours. I mean, Open TTD, man, Whew, that is a it's it's a good joke. that is that is a time sink. Anyways, I'm not uh, we're not sponsored by uh, Prison Architect or uh, the guys behind it in any way, but I really think you should check out Prison Architect. Just released an update yesterday, and we'll be out on every major platform by the end of this year I believe and you know what if you start playing the game try look for me amongst your prisoner you will find me oh yeah yeah that's uh, fun my uh, I'm, I think I'm sentenced sentenced for to death for trying to containerize a prison you're not, not surely yeah I'm... you're not okay well uh, I've just loaded up my, I had a prison architect in the, going in the background without realizing, it, and I've just looked, just looked at it briefly, and my entire prison is on fire. It's burning down, <laughs> and the warden is calling me, and it all is probably not well in my prison. So, yeah, I'm not the best warden. Should we talk about um, what we're here to talk about? You know, not prison architect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're traveling this weekend. I am, yes. Uh, yeah. So tomorrow I am catching the Eurostar down from London to Brussels to go to FOSDEM. So if What's FOSDEM then? What is FOSDEM? That's a bloody good question. I know it's a free and open source uh, conference. I'm loading up the website. Ah, FOSDEM is a free event for software developers to meet, share ideas and collaborate. So technically I'm not a software developer, but I do spend a lot of my life talking with those people so there was quite a few things on the schedule that actually interested me um it's sponsored by people like red hat and cisco and core os and github and lots of other people that you know i respect 
Uh, there's people, so Lennart Pottering is giving a talk about System D, which I think I'll find quite interesting. Um, there's a there's a memorial session for Ian Murdoch, the um, founder of Debian, happening as well. And, ooh, there's something, uh, ooh, that looks fun. Putting 8 million people on the map on uh, Sunday evening. There's a talk about uh, open mapping tools. I do like a good bit of mapping. Hmm, cool. What else is there? So there's loads of stuff in here. There's configuration management, containers, there's stuff about Docker, so that's why I'm going. Um, Internet of Things, microkernels, lots of software development, pretty much any language you can think of. There's some some talks on... Yeah, so let's have a look in the containers section. Oh, what's coming up in containers, Docker for developers, stuff, lots of stuff. I'm going to spend my life on Saturday listening to lots of people talk about lots of stuff I barely understand. So that's FOSDEM. So I'm going to be there. Um, I'm going with another colleague from work, so uh, that should be good. And if you want to come and find me, just send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Ironic Badger. And uh, I'll see if I can, you know, if you want to meet up, we can have a chat and maybe uh, grab a beer in the evening or something. So after after FOSDEM, there's uh, Configuration Management Camp as well. That's in Ghent, just up the road from Brussels. Also in Belgium. Um, so that's Monday, Tuesday sorted. So I'm actually going away for like five <laughs> five days or something. So, uh, sheesh, long trip. But anyway, enough You're about always me. on the road then, you. Yeah, I know. Well, I kind of like it, but at the same time, I, I kind of like my house too. So it's always finding that balance. But uh, I believe that... Um, I, I, I strongly believe that going to conferences is a great way to meet interesting people like at um at DockerCon, you know you had full um, i went to DockerCon by the way in november in barcelona it was lovely it was middle of november in england is not pleasant weather wise and barcelona it was 21 degrees clear blue skies for like three days in a row beautiful really nice that's cool uh, have you ever been to Barcelona? It's it's a lovely city. Yeah, I have. I'm a, uh, I was in Barcelona a few years back with my uh, best friend uh, and my girlfriend. Yes, both at the same time. It's a strange story, but the thing is, me and my girlfriend was in Barcelona for a week, and me and my buddy spent one weekend there together to watch the football match and have beers. No, I don't really care about football. Sorry. Not to to little, not to belittle your story, of course, but, um, you know, it's not my thing. <laughs> no, Formula, totally Formula One, on the other hand, you can talk to me about Formula One, and I'll I, one day I'll go to the circuit de Catalunya in Barcelona, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be good. Yeah, so. my buddy is my buddy is a big fan of Formula One, so he would probably love it. Uh, Have you ever been to a that? race live, um, Badger? Yes, uh, I've been to a couple actually. I went to Silverstone as a kid. And then on my honeymoon, so for my honeymoon, we interrailed around Europe for three weeks and it was awesome. And so I was planning the trip. We flew out to Lyon and then spent the first few days in the um, Swiss part of the Alps. And as I was planning the itinerary, I sort of worked, we worked our way down to Milan, which is in northern Italy. And I couldn't work out why there were no hotels available and everything was more expensive. 
And then I looked at the Formula One calendar and it clicked. We were in Milan on race weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Completely by accident. Nobody believes me. I don't care. It was an accident. A delicious, beautiful, happy accident that meant we ended up going to Monza on our honeymoon. The noise of the F1 cars back then as well was just, it, it, it gets you in your rib cage. Amazing, amazing. It's, they sound like a pack of angry wasps. And, so uh, it was the proper noise then? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about... What, what kind of period are we talking about there then? 2011. It oh, was, okay. So it wasn't the proper, proper period when they revved up to like 21,000 RPM, but uh, it was good though. You know really what, lads? We have an uh, exciting new what? thing to tell you. What's that? You've got a sex change, no? No, no, not yet. Uh, we have <laughs> new members. Oh, yeah, new members. Yeah, two sure, of them. You sure yeah. you haven't had a sex change and talking about new members? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, we have two new members. Uh, we have, uh, let's start with uh, one of them in no particular order. Just the order I have them noted here. We have Nikyo eight fourteen is his nickname. He's he's uh, he's done some quite solid work before joining us. He's uh, he made a he made a plugin for Open Media Vault that makes it available for anyone to use Docker. Believe it or not, uh, we do Docker, and Docker is well, it's a thing. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. What's Open Media Vault? That's a um, that is a Open Media Vault that is uh, self-explanatory. I mean, the. <laughs> what, what you mean is, it's, it's a storage it's, solution. It's a NAS-based operating, NAS-type operating system, uh, but it's more open. It's more flexible. It's more pluggable. It's uh, you can run SnapRide. Uh, no, not on RAID. SnapRide, RAID, uh, and ZFS and any type of system you want. Basically, it has plugins for most things, really. So they they build themselves. Yeah, you build as, your own system. Bring as your the own. the next generation NAS, and it's based on top of Debian Linux. Contains services like SSH. Oh, of course, it does. S FTP, SMB, Samba, um, DAP, Media, and RSync and BitTorrent clients. And um, yeah, I've used it quite a bit myself in the past. I I haven't ever stuck with it, and I I can't put my finger on why, but there's no doubt. It is a great product. It is a great product. It's not a product for me, but it's a great product nonetheless. And and it is free, and it is open source, licensed under GPL. Yeah, and it runs Docker. More importantly, what's, what's uh, not to like? <laughs> yeah, right. More importantly, when you when you install the Docker plugin he made, uh, which is one of the reasons we wanted him, he's uh, hardly into the open media world uh, environment, and he likes Docker. He likes us. We like him. So, bada bing, bada boom, and. All our Docker containers are integrated in into this plugin by default. So whenever you, so everything we made a template for for Unraid is templated into Open Media Vault now. So if you want to find out more about Open Media Vault, you can go to openmediavault.org. They've got a live demo, which is at demo.omv-extras.org. And um, yeah, if you haven't looked at it and you're in the sort of build your own NAS space. Go take a look. It is an excellent, excellent product. Uh, so who's our next new member? 
Our next new member is uh, a member we have had lots of interactions and lots of cooperations with uh, before. It's uh, his name is Squidly two seventy one, and he wrote <laughs> he wrote the whole most popular thing for Unray these days: community applications. And, Sounds uh, like your house is on fire, Lonix. Yeah, it's kind of it's on fire. Uh, wife's cooking and all that, and. Uh, <laughs> No, the thing is, uh, Squidly is a value community member of Unraid, and he really is a grand friend of ours. From and he's been a supporter and helped us out immensely to get flowing to this point we are now, and we're happy to have him on us on our team. Yeah, he's a, he's a good all round guy, that Squidly, isn't he? Um, we're going to talk more about Unraid later in the show, so I won't go too much into specifics on Unraid right now, but. We can say that it is, um, it's it's very similar to Open Media Vault, but it's it's a paid product, and this isn't sponsored. We're not affiliated with Unraid in any way, um, but it's how I think most of us met to start with. Was we were all Unraid users at the time. I'm no longer an Unraid user. Full disclosure. Some of the team are. I think Lonic still uses it. I think Sparkly still uses it. But um, we'll talk about it more later in the show. So. With the announcements done, what's our container of the week? Well, this is one that's been near and dear to me since, well, for a while. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's very, it's not a hidden gem in any sort. It's a uh, Jay Wilder's Nginx proxy. Uh, you'll find a link and name and proper in uh, show notes down below or wherever they are. Uh, that assumes that we're going to do show notes. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's got 482 stars and 1.9 million pulls. So yeah. it's not exactly a hidden gem, as you say. But damn, is it cool. What does Nginx Proxy do? Nginx Proxy does. It does what it needs to do. Uh, well, uh, But that doesn't about... really tell us anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And everything it wants, doesn't it? Well proxy part of this is quite simple isn't it it's we all know what a proxy is by now i hope and this container no nah, go on tell us tell us <laughs> screw you <laughs> <laughs> this container though it makes configuration of uh reverse proxies from the outside in inside to your docker container a breeze it does automatic configuration of any container you run based on a few simple environmental variables on your dockers. So, let's say you have uh, a uh, Apache docker running uh, your secret uh, stash server. You want that to be running on uh, stash.linuxserver.io, not a real URL, and you, you simply add an environmental variable called virtual host tac equals uh, uh, stash.linuxserver.io to your run command for that container and then the, this container will automatically see that and configure itself as a reverse proxy for that domain into that container so Jason's actually um, written up a post on his blog um, it's from March 2014 uh, explaining a bit more about why you might want to use this um, container so I think it's worth explaining that um, you know an example could be that a reverse proxy can provide SSL termination, load balancing, root requests and caching and stuff like that. 
Um, and sometimes when you run web services in containers, it can be useful to put a, a reverse proxy in front of them. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole article detailing on why you might want to use it. I personally, also in the I personally never have used a reverse proxy. So, Lonix, why should I use one? Why should you use one? Well, first of all, you can uh, uh, you don't have to fight about ports. It's, this is a home server-based uh, uh, show, right? So, let's talk about ports. Ports are important. Ports are uh, there's a lot of them, but we really only want a few of them, don't we? We all want port eighty for something, but we can't all have it. So, this is a solution to that. So, rather than going to my um, dynamic host name colon port, you know, three thousand and ten. Um, I could actually just go to my my dynamic DNS name slash something. Well, th- this particular container does not support slash because it's configured to work in a more multi thing. But uh, you have to use a subdomain. But that's a small print. Let's just do my real things here. Let's say I have a uh, I have a media management application called uh, Sonar. And I have that running at uh, sonar.mydomain.com. And and I don't even expose port 80 or anything. Everything just happens to go through this through this specific container. So, so what do you do? You open up a port on your firewall pointing to the reverse proxy container, presumably. Yeah. Listening on port 80, I guess. Yeah, 443, to be honest. It's, oh, well, oh, it's SSL. Supposed- of course it does. Okay, nice. Um, and so, when you hit that URL, are there any um, any caveats, any gotchas? Well, the gotchas are as you you probably want to use slash well my dynamic domain slash TV or sonar or whatever, and you can't really do that as of yet. It's it's in works, but it's it's the, the author's original attempt is not really for home users, so it's 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 somewhat down his priority list. So I assume that means you have to have a separate certificate for each subdomain then. Or a wildcard certificate if you yeah. if you're a normal person. And I'm I don't know much about it, but presumably you could use Let's Encrypt to get one of those, could you? You could use Let's Encrypt to get one of those. There's a, a quite a bit of bit of work between Nginx proxy now and Let's Encrypt to make this whole process dynamic in the Nginx template proxy thing. I don't know how about progress at this point, but that's certainly a way you should be able to do that in the hashtag near future. That certainly looks like something I'm going to have to investigate. That is yeah, it, really it, it is really cool. And, and look at the we uh, we our CI server uh, runs behind a uh, nginx proxy made by Jay Wilder. Nice. Yeah. And anything else we're going to use to run on this new uh, server of ours, we'll do that. Uh, we'll run behind Nginx. It's it's a brilliant proxy. And we, if we need to, if you want to do an A-B test, if you know what that is, uh, if we want to do an A-B test, we can uh, simply add multiple containers with the same virtual host, and they will both be served in parallel. On A-B test. Base. I'm not familiar with that. I'm going to guess it's you have uh, two containers running and you want to hit one on one host and one on another? Is that right? Well, an A-B test is, um, Amazon does this all the time. They have a new feature or new layout or new change they want to do, a minor one, right? 
And so what they do is they uh, do a so-called A-B test where they launch that every fifth client that this applies to, they give the right. B version. Yes, yes, I have heard of these. And rather than the A version, and they see how people adapt to it. Does it make checkout faster? Does it make that better? Does, does it do what we want it to do? Does people get a good experience? And, and they don't even know they're testing. That's the best way to conduct testing, I guess. <clears throat> yes, if you can. I saw something somewhere where I think every Facebook user has something like 40 different experiments going on against them at the same time. Yeah, it is insane. <laughs> Facebook does so many, so much social engineering through a web. It's they almost beat Google at it. And let's be honest, Google knows everything about me. Everything. Yeah, probably they do. Right, should we move on to the news? There are news. Shall we move on to the news? Yes, let's. <laughs> what did you just say? I think uh, maybe we. Um, confuse each other yes I'm, we did <laughs> i'm gonna blame the fact that english isn't your first language let's do that works brilliant for me right, right. First, up, first up in the news uh docker have been acquiring stuff at the same rate as they add features um and they've gone ahead and bought unikernel so unikernel what's that <laughs> that didn't sound like a setup at all <laughs> <laughs> no it didn't <laughs> right so oh technical explanation coming along Currently, containers all share the same kernel. As the host. The host kernel, yes. So for every instance of an operating system, there has to be a kernel. And the kernel, I guess, is what translates hardware commands into commands that an application can understand and vice versa. That's a horrible oversimplification, but bear with me. Just a bit. (laughs) And so it creates like a virtual space and an area that's inaccessible to the program. So the the program can't go and, you know, manipulate the hardware directly. It has to go to say, hey, Mr. Kernel, I need to perform this operation on a graphics card. Can you go and speak the the language of that graphics card for me? Which is um, a fancy way of, of putting what a driver does for Windows parlance. Um, so I think it's fair to say that a kernel sits a bit like God on a cloud peering down at the mere mortals below atop of all of its processes. Does that sound about So kind right? of like you on Prison Architect? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I am the kernel of... No, no, no it doesn't really work. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so if a process wants to, the kernel to do anything for it, it's got to make a system call which switches the processor from an executing code in the program to executing code in the privileged kernel. Now, ordinarily, the code wouldn't be able to do that, and the kernel has to switch context, which is a very expensive procedure to perform in terms of CPU clock cycles. So if we can reduce the number of context switches, we can make things um, more performant, more specialised. And... When you are talking about Internet of Things devices and other very, very low power high or high performance workloads, um, specialization and optimization becomes incredibly valuable. So essentially what a unikernel does is um, 
let's let's say a process wants to send some data over a network. Um, the information is prepared for transmission, um, and it, and then the the process makes the necessary system call. Uh, the process then switches to the kernel, which passes the data to its TCP/IP code, and then that funnels the data in packets to the Ethernet driver. Eventually, the processor switches back to the program, so it's context switched from actually running the application code to having to interface with the hardware. So that's the context switching piece. So a unikernel smashes all of this together, and the kernel ends up being effectively just another library compiled almost directly into the application. So not quite right, but it's close enough. Um, and then the resulting bundle sits in completely the same accessible address space, so the kernel isn't sectioned off in its own protected bubble. So when you when you um, compile a unikernel container, you could run that directly on top of the hypervisor. You don't need an operating system installed upon which to run the Docker engine. As long as that hypervisor can um, execute run C commands, then it can run a unikernel. That is I, some complicated stuff. Yeah, somewhat. <laughs> did, you, did you learn anything, Sparky Boss? Um, I am still kind of lost in the maze on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so right. If you if you think of the system in layers, you've got the hardware as the bottom layer, then the next layer up is the hypervisor. We're assuming that these workloads are all virtualized because who runs bare metal these days? If I if I kind of very very oversimplified it, it almost sounds like having a kernel as a runtime. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it is. Yeah. That's pretty much exactly what it is. So it, it makes the applications extremely lightweight as the only kernel functionality they need is compiled in. So rather than having... So the traditional Linux kernel is quite fat and heavy and contains many, many, many libraries that you will never, ever need, use, or want. The idea behind a unikernel is just the same as with a Docker container. You're bundling just the specific libraries you need from the kernel directly into your container. So that you get the same efficiencies you get with a, a Docker container, you then get that extrapolates out to removing the kernel layer and making it much smaller and much more optimized. Specialized, I suppose is a better word. Interesting. Are you any of the wiser now, chaps? Yep. I think I've aged about a year talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Where it comes into its own, of course, I mean, I did mention this, is the Internet of Things gears and things like Raspberry Pis and... Um, other embedded devices you know for example my washing machine why is that ever going to need certain libraries in the linux kernel it's not i mean okay there are embedded systems that have been doing the similar job as to what we've just quick, talked about quick quick question why wouldn't just your uh, wash dryer just compile its own kernel well not that itself but the manufacturer compile that kernel put that on would that Wrong. be the same washing machine you're going to wash your lsio t-shirt in I haven't got a t-shirt. You keep bugging me about t-shirts. I need get to get t-shirts. One day I'll get some t-shirts. All right. And once then I'll send you one in the mail. Once we have enough downloads, we'll give away one even. Yeah, maybe. Once once we reach a million downloads. How about that? <laughs> well, cheap ass. Uh, what was, we were talking about washing machines. That's right. Um, why doesn't a washing machine 
want to just directly compile everything well if you think about all the different cycles that your washing machine has they could conceivably be containers they could be applications couldn't they each cycle could be an application so when you want to add new applications and you want to yeah, and you want to add in new libraries you would need to recompile the entire kernel instead of just shipping the container with the with the unikernel in it you've broken it down into tiny little blocks basically yeah but it's a tiny little block that contains everything it needs to not just the application code but also the system level kernel code i'm sure i've bored you all to tears about unikernels although kind of interesting and it's kind of what this podcast is about docker and technology and linux and stuff. stuff but uh we also make some containers as you may or may not know the linux server.io containers and every month we um we have we do some updates and i think probably lonix it's a good time for you to tell us about them so this month we have been doing some updates with our base image that I'm quite proud of and you know, it's been a lot of work trying to get everything to fit and the thing is before this month we had this problem that local mirrors happened to be down and that gave our user experience uh, a bit awful due to they getting a feel that their containers won't well progress and they won't boot uh, simply because updates doesn't happen and that's no good. So to counter that, we did two things. We three things actually. The first thing is, well, first of all, now you can actually see update progress if you open the logs. We don't anymore hide it. We display it proudly. This is going on. Second of all, we switch to another alternate app. It adds about 11 megabytes of data to our base image, but we think it's worth it to ensure that the mirrors that's selected for your container is specifically good for your environment. And third, we, if everything else fails, we added a new uh, semi-hidden feature to enable you to disable updates altogether. So that should help us out with that uh, quite a bit. The only thing is, we don't do a collective update of all our Docker containers. So, this question is possible. How do you, how do I know if these new features are available from my container? On or about February the first, this is when we're going to be doing the base image update that you've spoken about. Uh, we'll begin doing some container updates from that date. So, basically, any container after February the first should have the new base image. Uh, an easy way to tell is if you look in the logs, you'll notice a small script runs and it's talking about choosing the fastest mirror. Yeah. If you see that, you have the latest base image. There's also a couple of other various bug fixes in the MISC tweaks that um, we had there that should be... And if you didn't know, there's a, there's a really easy way to tail your logs. If you do docker logs dash f and then the name of the container you can it'll actually do real-time output of the logs or if you're on any of my servers you just use detail right yeah 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 that's really sweet so ronix has written a little um script i guess that uh it it basically it caps the output at 50 logs at 50 lines of log um and it's it's so good that i have 
taken it and consumed it and put it into all my Ansible playbooks on all my servers that I use, including at work and at home. Yeah, it's, you're welcome. Uh, it's, it's lush. It's really nice. There's it's, a whole bu- I have a few of those, but... There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of little aliases that we've got going on now. So there's detail, there's destart, there's de-replace, de-upgrade. <laughs> we've got our yeah. whole our whole um, uh, own custom. Maybe we... We should make a Linux or I.O. toolkit for that. We maybe we that? should. Do you know what? That is decided. Motion passed. Yeah, we're going to do Unanimously. that. So that's my task for the next week, isn't it? Yeah, congrats. Yep. well volunteered. Congratulations. <laughs> yep, I'll do that. So... Uh... Anything the else next, you want to cover the on the base episode, image? you hear that. <laughs> you hear this show, you're going to see that published. Okay. Anything else you'd like to cover about the base image? No, nothing in particular. Our base image is a lot of work. and uh, Should we uh, on... explain the, the concepts behind it? I mean, we decided to do it, you know, it feels like a year ago, but it probably was only about six months. <laughs> I have no idea. It's been a while. But, uh, well, we decided... Really, in the beginning, it was all just we didn't want to uh, go through all of our containers and switch uh, base image from uh, Fusion base image uh, 0.19.14 to 0.9.215. And so we decided to make a base image and we wouldn't have to go through that trouble again. Because originally we only had like five or six containers and now <laughs> we. Five times would be like. A yeah, lot of work. It's for anything above sort of three or four times, and I'm beginning to really think, how can I automate this? Yeah, that's good. I it's in a very efficient way of thinking, and no, 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 it's a very lazy way of thinking. <laughs> that's what makes me good at DevOps. Yeah, that's true. Then, then that's what they pay me for being lazy. Let's just imagine that same update happening now, going from dot oh dot nine dot sixteen to oh dot nine dot seventeen would be 56 containers not including developing yeah that's that's painful that that would make me want to cry and cut off my fingers yeah so we made some changes so we made simply we made a doc file that said from fusion base image 0.9.16 that's what it was really so it's it's one image that all of our other containers inherit from in order, it just it follows the Docker philosophy. So, if you're familiar with what from at the top of a Docker file does, all of our containers are from the Linux server base image, which is f- also from the Fusion guy, base guys image. over at Fusion. That's with a ph, like a fat ph, over at Fusion. So, which is from Ubuntu, and yes. we we slightly expanded that with um, three other base images, but they are in turn just based upon on. Of vanilla base image, yeah, yeah. So we've got stuff for nginx and Apache and things like that. So yeah. again, it's all designed to make us have to do as little work as possible because we're inherently lazy. We're inherently lazy. Yeah. So um, next item up on the news agenda is the release of Ansible 2.0. Are you familiar yeah. with what An- Ansible is, chaps? Yeah. Okay. Good. Excellent. Um, for those that aren't. It's uh, it basically it's a, it's a way to store your server configuration. Well, it doesn't have to be server. It's a way to store your system configuration as code. And Ansible, um, it's, it's in the same, usually mentioned in the same breath of things like Chef and Puppet. Um, and <laughs> I've just seen your message about about your wife, Lonix, watching reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
I typed it so you wouldn't have to speak about it. Yeah, well, now we are. Ha ha. Um, yeah, so Ansible's pretty great. I um, I spent most of my Christmas holiday learning about Ansible and fell in love. And essentially how it works, you, you define your system's configuration in a .yaml file, which um, you can then store in source code control and things like that. So basically the the whole of my home server the whole of my work estate is is it's basically stored in an ansible file so if if anything happened to my servers okay i'd lose some data but i could reconfigure them in a jiffy actually i wouldn't lose much data hmm maybe that's the whole point so um ansible works under the uh works on the, the what's what's the word i'm looking for it uses modules anyway it, it has a con- the concept Thank you. Thank you, Brain. It has the concept of modules. So there are a bunch of core modules, and one of those added in version 1.4 is the Docker core module. Now, it uses the Docker PY Python library in order to um, interact with the Docker API. So what this enables you to do is, um, as part of uh, an Ansible run of a playbook, you can do a whole bunch of stuff um, now relating to containers using Docker. So, yay, Docker. <laughs> yeah, well, what's nice is that, well, so are you, are you familiar with Docker Compose? Sort of. I've decided to skip it, to be honest. <laughs> well, I think you should give it another look, but... It, it's kind of, um, you, you, rather than having a, a docker run command, what this enables you to do is to set all of the, um, basically the same uh, variables that you would set in a run command, but in a .yaml file, very similar to what um, Docker Compose does. So, uh, for example, you can you can do thing you can set the state of a container. So, um, I, I can ensure that I have an application container running Nginx and um, it's linked to a Redis container and it has access to certain devices with these with with port, certain ports open and stuff like that. Um, what I can then do is I can ensure that exactly five containers are running with this exact image and command and if f- fewer than five are running, more will be launched. So it's getting a bit into the orchestration territory there. So I'm not quite sure I like the fact that it's it's kind of hopping over from configuration management into orchestration, but the capabilities there if you want it. Um, I recommend that if you're not familiar with Ansible, you go and have a look at the um, docs.ansible.com website. And links in the show notes, of course. And uh, yeah, I mean it's pretty great. So if you if you're a home user. And you've you've got say ten or twelve containers. It's unlikely you're going to have multiple versions of the same container, and you're going to have to try and remember what all your Docker run commands are. Now, Lonix has got a really interesting way of doing this, which we'll talk about maybe in next week's episode because I actually really like this. But what you can do with Ansible is you can do Ansible run, and it will install Docker. It will install whatever else you want. So for me, it would be SnapRaid and MergerFS, and then. Using the Docker PY library, it will set it will set up all of my containers with all the users I've specified and all the environment um, variables that I need to set. 
all from my command line on my laptop or my Pi or whatever I'm SSH'd into uh, all automatically. It's really nice. It, it doesn't have an agent that installs on the um, target box, so that's really nice too. So Puppet has an agent that pulls the config every 30 minutes or whatever. Um, whereas Ansible works on the push model. It only runs when you push out changes. So depending on what your situation is, you might find Ansible works better or uh, Puppet works better. But for me, I like things to only change when I tell them to change instead of enforcing things to change every 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, that's that's a brief overlook at the Ansible 2.0 launch. They've they've rewritten practically all of the um, what they say on their website. Ansible 2.0 is quite a bit more than a large refactoring effort. The cleaner architecture allowed us to add several new features we've been considering for a while. So they've got things in there like uh, better playbook parsing and um, try-catch statements for error reporting, um, for dynamic includes of um, different um, YAML files for playbooks. Um, the task blocks with the, with the try-catch stuff is something I was actually expecting to be there by default, and now it is there. I'm kind of thinking, well, that's the way it should have been anyway, because um, I learned Python at, uh, at uni, so... I expected that everything would have a try, except finally structure. But uh, um, what else? There's a. They reckon they've got over 200 new modules. An awful lot of them are aimed at um, sort of DevOpsy type tooling. Um, there's some aimed OpenStack. There's some AWS stuff. There's VMware. Uh, oh, apparently they've got extended support for Microsoft Windows. And then, uh, and then there are substantial improvements to the Docker module. That's uh, that's the Ansible 2.0 launch. Yeah, that's cool. I can't wait to check it out. I'm going to do stuff with it uh, on work tomorrow. All right, so our last segment for today, we're going to just uh, do a, a quick update on Unraid. As you know, it's, uh, I think it's the reason most of us met. And it's um, Unraid, if you're not familiar, is a, it's not open source, but it's, it's a Linux-based um NAS storage system that gives you a way of having just a bunch of drives with a parity disk. It's pretty nice. Um, I think it's a hundred and something, hundred and twenty dollars or something for the the pro license that lets you have up to twenty odd drives and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's been around forever. Um, but in the last sort of year or two, they've added loads of really cool features like virtualization and Docker um, and some other stuff like that. So. Yeah, and Docker. And Docker. I just said that, but and definitely added Docker. And uh, we 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 all of us pretty much met through through Unraid, so it's got a soft place in my heart, a special place in my heart. I don't actually use it anymore um personally, but I know that both Lonix and Sparkly do, so um do you wanna to talk to us, Sparkly, about uh the the new stuff that's coming up soon? I suppose the big thing that is coming up in the next version is the option for dual parity. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, what is parity, Sparkly? Well, parity is a way of safeguarding a single drive on your system. It stores the sum of the data, data bits on all of your other drives. So if a drive goes down, it can rebuild it from those bits. That's an oversimplified way of looking at it. With with dual yeah. parity, with dual if, if parity, you, if you were to um, line up 
the discs um, sort of mathematically in a row. Let's say you had four you had four bits that you wanted to recover, and you had one bit on each drive. Yeah. The parity drive then it's really hard to explain, but essentially it's it's a maths um, equation that the parity the parity system can reconstruct what was on the drive that's failed because it knows what should have been there based on the result of the equation, which is a, called a parity bit. And so why is dual parity important? Because it offers you twice the protection. You can lose two drives without losing any data. So wait, I can lose, at the moment, as it stands with single parity, my fault tolerance is one. So in yep. my, in my yeah. array, if I have uh, 10 drives and one parity drive, if I lose one data disk, I'm good. <laughs> Yep, I can, I, can reco- I can recover from that. I'm fine. So in that sense, it's a bit like RAID 5. Yes. So with the dual parity, are you telling me it's like RAID 6? I can sustain two data disk failures. Yes, you yes. can. Or is it, is it not just a, a mirroring of the parity drive? Or is it actually proper like RAID 6? No, that, uh, that's why they didn't want to implement uh, dual parity the way we wanted in the beginning we wanted just like to have a mirror of the parity drive but they talked about it they wanted to do it so that we had an opportunity to lose two drives uh, oh like cool in so it's, six. It, it's like raid six then where you so can lose you technically can lose. we don't really know yet because well there's nothing official except that dual parity is coming and dual parity means that there's dual parity thus double the protection so n minus two but we don't know if that's what they're implementing. Ah, okay. So I guess that's something we'll stay tuned to. It and have... Um, have you have you been keeping up with the um, stuff that Linus has been doing on his um, Linus Tech Tips channel? Yeah, there's with cool Unraid. shit. We have what, seen what was cool it? stuff. How, how many game? How many monitors? It was for CES. I think they had to build a system using Unraid for CES. How many gamers in the end? They had seven gamers, seven active gamers playing Far Cry 3 at the same time on one <laughs> From one box. Tower. Using, all running in Unraid. Using KVM GPU um, pass-through. Yeah. Man, that is some sexy stuff. Yeah, and it really is. He calculated it to be something like 700 and something something FPS total. And, <laughs> That's fucking and, sick. And 30,000 US dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> but if you, so if you divide 30,000 by 7, that's still not much different than what you pay per per head anyway for a system that could do 700 frames a second. No, well, obviously, it's, it's doing 100. I know that. I know that. But Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, so it was, it was cool to watch. And, storage, uh, is, storage is a, a, a topic that's close to all of our hearts, but I think we're running a little over for today, so I'm going to yeah. suggest we curtail it there and wrap up for this week. So, Lonix, is there any way you want to send people to follow us throughout the week? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, try that last wrap-up again. So, Lonix, is there any way you want to send people to follow us throughout the week? Yeah, well, you can email me, lonix at linuxo.io or lonix on Twitter. And you can email me, ironicbadger at linuxserver.io or find me on Twitter at ironicbadger. And don't forget, I'll be at FOSDEM this weekend, so if you want to find me, just send me a tweet and... We'll try and meet up and have a beer. Belgium's pretty good for that sort of thing. It is the best country in the world for beer. Or you can tweet at the show on at linuxserver.io. And don't forget, we've got an IRC channel on Freenode called uh, 
hashlinuxserver.io. We do, and we also have a forum over at linuxserver.io, so you can go and check that out, or you can email us at podcast at linuxserver.io. So basically, if you can't find a way to get in touch with us, we can't help you. Let us know. <laughs> this has been the linuxserver.io podcast. Until next time, contain yourself. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,